I've noticed something about the way I pray on Sunday mornings. I am usually in the back, singing with you, not well, but I'm singing. But I'm praying, and I'm usually praying about the message. Um, And I found that the longer I go in pastoral ministry, I think years ago I prayed about what the Spirit caused to come out of my mouth. And now I find myself praying just as much, if not more, about what the Spirit does in your heart. Um, Because if we believe that we have come to faith and been changed and been born again and been redeemed by the Holy Spirit, that we understand that not only did the Spirit conceive Christ in the Virgin Mary, not only did the Spirit author these scriptures, not only does the Spirit come and basically make me a mouthpiece of truth, but the Spirit does the same miraculous work in your heart when the Spirit-filled truth comes upon you. So the Spirit is always at work when the gospel is proclaimed. Um, the, The power of God, it takes nothing less than the miraculous power of God for someone to come to faith. And we believe that. God has provided that not only with the incarnate God, Jesus Christ, but His Spirit is at work. Even in Luke, the Spirit is behind the scenes making it all work. And what he wants us to see is not himself, but he wants us to see the glory of Jesus Christ displayed, both when I preach and when you read and hear it uh, on a Sunday morning. It's good to see you again this morning. I haven't, I missed last week. I was here. Some of you might not have seen me, but I was spying on you to make sure you were good little Christians. I'm kidding. Um, I was in the nursery um, because that's what we they, I, I, I don't want to, I feel bad saying I was working in the nursery. What I really did was just watch Lydia and Lauren work. Um, but I was there. Um, but I did miss and I uh, was able to come in and peek uh, and listen just, just briefly to Lee, uh, who always does a, an excellent job. So thank you, Lee. Uh, but I'm back. Last weekend, I graduated with my PhD in theology from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm done with school. No more school. I'm done. Thank you. Don't no. We don't. We don't. We don't clap for the preacher. That's that's not what we do here. Um, but I'll tell you this: if any of you insist on calling me Doctor Todd, I will exercise church discipline on you immediately. I'm not joking. Um, it's. I mean, it's. I think I was talking to Johnny. I was like, he was like, "Hey, Doctor Todd." I was like, "Can you go by Doctor Todd when you're in a triple wide?" And he was like, "Yeah, it's ironic." I'm like, "Okay, good." Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be done with school. Kelly, more importantly, is happy with me do, being done with school. Um, and I told her, I was like, yeah, no. I said, baby. She's like, I think we were driving home. And I was like, no more, no more school. She's like, yep, yeah, no more school. I said, no more reading 200-year-old dead Baptists. And she's like, yeah, that's, that's going to stop. I don't I don't ever see that stopping. Um, So some things will change, some things won't. Uh, My love of the word and my love of history will not change. Uh, But the irony is not lost on me that in the very weekend, after the very weekend where I've been dubbed Dr. Abby Todd, having a big ceremony, getting my big fancy degree, the very first passage of scripture that God has given me to preach is Luke chapter 2 and our Lord being born in a manger which I just can't help but think that it's almost as if God wanted to remind me and all of us this morning 
that earthly accolades are worth celebrating, but they do not in any way reflect what is truly important in this world. Our houses, our salaries, our titles, our friendships, our possessions have absolutely no eternal significance next to the child in the manger that we're going to read about this morning. And here's the, the gospel, if I could define it. The high king of heaven became a slave in order to serve and to save the world, bearing our sin on the cross and giving us new life so that we could have the power to worship someone other than ourselves. Raise your hand if you used to watch professional wrestling growing up. All right, they're here. Gene Lloyd raised his hand. Gene Lloyd raised his hand. Okay, we are not alone. Um, I used to watch wrestling a lot. Uh, not, not as much as my other buddies. We'd get together for Royal Rumbles. Who watched Royal Rumbles? Okay. All right. Well, BJ's leaving. Um, and um, the, uh, one thing I loved about pro wrestling was not just what happened in the ring, but it was, it was the intro. When they came out, you didn't know who was coming out there. And when they did, they had their own what? They had their own intro music. And they, it was a charade. It was a show. Of course, you know, at that age, being young, you didn't really know if it was real or not. You didn't care. And every wrestler would come out, and they had their, like, like that, and they're wearing, like, basically nothing but spandex, and they've got, they've got King's hat on, they've got props, and it was all a show, but I loved it. And then Hulk Hogan comes out. He's just like this. You know, or Macho Man Randy Savage, or my favorite, The Undertaker. Y'all know about The Undertaker. We expect leaders, we expect powerful men to come out and make a statement. It's as if the world wanted the Son of God to come out like he was a WWF wrestler. It's as if people were expecting the Messiah to come on on high with music raining down, as if he were the strongest man alive, as if he had something to prove, and what God says is, he's not coming from there, he's coming from down there. It's a manger. The world expected God to come from the highest place, and he came from the very bottom. God incarnate, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord, our Savior, our King, our Messiah, could not have began His journey in a more pitiful place. And so if you'll turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and when you've found it, if you'll stand for the reading of God's Word. Holy Spirit through Luke says in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town and Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was in the house of because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Let's pray. Father, 
Show us the glory of Christmas. Show us the glory of a God who would take flesh. Show us the glory of how humble the circumstances were in which your son Jesus came into the world and let his humility humble us. Let his lowliness cause us to become a lowly people. Father, let not the splendor and the awe of Christmas be missed upon us this morning as we remember that our Lord was not born in a palace. He was born in a stable, in a manger. And Father, we as his servants, as his followers, as his disciples, we are called to follow him, looking not to serve ourselves, but others in the mold of Christ. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen. Here's what I'm trying to say this morning. The humble circumstances of Jesus' birth bear witness to the fact that the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world will not live in harmony. And what is precious in one is of little value to the other. As the body of Christ, we are called to model the lowliness and humility of Christ as sojourners in the world. If you think about it, God could not have chosen a more perfect time and a more perfect place to unveil His Son to the world. Number one, the world is becoming more connected than it's ever been. Here we find that the Roman Empire is now documenting and organizing its citizens for tax purposes. And according to Jewish custom, everyone must report to their homeland. So, of course, even though Joseph is from Nazareth, he has to report to the city of David, which is Bethlehem, which in uh, Hebrew means house of bread. But everyone knows it as where David was born. The Roman roads, Pax Romana, basically uh, the Romans didn't want to just conquer everyone, they wanted to civilize everyone. They wanted to Romanize everyone. What would happen is they would conquer you, sometimes enslave you, but then they wanted to give you a little bit of Roman etiquette. And when they did that, they built up the infrastructure to any place that they took over. And so that's known today as the Pax Romana. It's essentially the world's first interstate system. Romans were quite remarkably modern for their time, making the Western world more accessible than ever. This was the world Jesus was born. Jesus Christ was also born in Judea, which geographically speaking is where three different continents come together. Asia, Europe, and Africa. So you can get where you need to go. It's as if the gospel was already being prepared. Number three, because of Latin in North America or North Africa and Italy, Greece or Greek-speaking people in, um, in Eastern Europe, and then, of course, Aramaic and Hebrew and Israel, languages are being learned and exchanged on a level unlike any before. Information now is being passed more quickly than it has ever been in human history, and this is the scene in which Jesus comes. This is the world. Jesus was born in a very ancient but really oddly modern world for its time. We often think of Jesus 2,000 years ago as being born in prehistoric times, and he was. It was a very barbaric, ancient world. But back then, people didn't think it was so ancient, especially when the emperor's flag was flying. God is orchestrating the spread of the gospel even before Jesus is born. And the circumstances of Jesus' birth are important for a number of reasons. One, the location was already prophesied in the Old Testament. Here's Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, I don't even know how to say that, Ephrathah, 
The Clackams are laughing. Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah? From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. God told him where it was going to happen. Number two, the manner of his birth is actually fulfilled in Old Testament prophecy. Here you go, Isaiah 53, 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So God told him, the world's going to reject this guy. Don't expect him to come with, well, the first time with trumpets. And of course, the virgin birth is one of the primary confessions of the early church. This isn't just a, a kind of an extraneous little story that people like to tell. Christmas and the Christmas story was fundamental to identifying yourself as a Christian in the ancient Near Eastern world. Here you go. Here's the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. It's important to affirm the virgin birth. It always has been. It's important to believe and to confess and to affirm that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin who was conceived, who, whose child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We all affirm that here. So Jesus' birth isn't just a, a, a cute story or a good story on the way to a real story. This is the story. And there's a debate about what the word in really means. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something I very rarely do. I'm going to critique the English Standard Version. Um, the word in doesn't actually appear in the Greek. Uh, there's a debate about what that word really is or what it means. Some scholars believe it just means a place to stay. I'm sorry, we've always been told about Christmas and about that mean innkeeper. There's no innkeeper in the Bible. Now, there might have been, but he's not there. Um, so there was room. What, what we should think of it is there just wasn't room in the place where they stayed. But I think the important place is still stands, which is there was no room. Number two, there's another debate about whether Jesus was born in an actual barn. I've done this before. If y'all have heard me preach, I'd be like, Jesus was born in a barn. That's not, eh, I was wrong. I don't think he was born in a barn. It never says that Jesus was born in a barn. It just says he was born in a what? A manger. In ancient Israel, people, people often had adjacent rooms where they kept their animals. Um, and that's where Jesus stayed. But I think the important part still stands, which is that Jesus was born in a manger amongst animals. There's an enormous amount of comfort to be found in the fact that there was no room in the stable or in the house or wherever he was for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's an enormous amount of comfort to be found in the fact that every time we think that the world has, doesn't have time for us, doesn't appreciate us, doesn't acknowledge us, we can take solace in the fact that it didn't have time for, didn't appreciate, and didn't acknowledge our Lord. Born amongst animals. And so, hold on, Scripture says there was no place for them. They had no place for God incarnate. And that's just the beginning of a life where no one really has place for Jesus. He didn't have place for them in Bethlehem. They didn't have a place for them in Egypt. They didn't have a place for them in Nazareth. They certainly didn't have place for them in Jerusalem. They didn't even have a place for them in the garden. And here's why Jesus says in, in Luke 9, He says, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. 
but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know what that means for us today? It means if the world could not accommodate itself for Jesus Christ, why in the world would we ever expect the world to accommodate itself to us now? Why would we ever expect what we see on our TV to accommodate itself to our values? Why would we ever expect our unbelieving co-workers to accommodate their language to ours? Why would we ever expect our nation to accommodate itself to our beliefs? Why would we ever expect a people who do not know the living God to live as if they do? Because uh, I'll tell you, you're not old enough this, but I was old enough 50 years ago to remember when everybody was a Christian. Bull! Sorry, that was loud. I think American Christians often expect the world to treat them better when in reality, the only thing we should expect from the world is to be sent straight to the stable where they put our Lord. The world is the world whether you're in first century Israel or whether you're in 21st century America. This is why, if I may, and let me explain, I think we need to stop waiting around for another Billy Graham. Now, I hope we find another Billy Graham. But let's stop waiting around for another figure as if God is going to send us another mega evangelist who golfs with presidents and speaks into American culture. Those don't come around very often, and we shouldn't expect that God should do that. What we should expect, what we should pray for, is that God would raise up a generation of Pauls and Timothys and John the Baptists who have no problem laying their head next to a fox or a bird. We have no problem sleeping in the stable. Revival does not begin in the White House. It begins in the manger. It begins in the lowest of places. It begins in Oxford, Georgia. It begins at the church at Haynes Creek. Revival begins in the church. Church. It begins with all of us inviting people to church. It invites, it, it calls all of us to evangelize the lost. If the manger means one thing for the Christian, it's that we should not assume that the world will accommodate itself to us, but that the church will always play the fool and the servant to the world. Here's another way I wanted to say it. The world sent Jesus to the manger when he was born. The world sent him to the cross when he died. He was always a stranger to the world and yet willing to die for the world. Have you ever thought about what it would be like if Jesus lived his entire life with a chip on his shoulder after Bethlehem? Hey, hey, hey Jesus, you going to go to Bethlehem? No, I ain't going to those people. You know, never take anything. I was born in a barn. Sorry, a stable. You know, we're going to go anywhere. But you know what? I actually told myself, my, my daddy Joseph was so poor, I had to be born in a manger. And I told myself that day I was never going to be poor again. You don't hear Jesus talk like that, do you? What does Jesus do? He actually lived to serve the world. Here's another way to say it. Jesus' life was not a rags-to-riches story. It was a manger-to-cross story. Jesus lived to give himself away. I was the, la- I was the second, last- I was the second to last person to graduate at my graduation last week. 
because my last name is Todd. Always been in the back. Ken Wynn knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Always back there. And uh, there was one more guy at the end of like 150, 200 people. He was old, really old guy. His name was Matt Williams. And Matt and I got to talk over rehearsal and the ceremony and all the practices. Matt did not get his Ph.D. to teach at a seminary or a college or a university. He got his Ph.D. so that he could go back to Indonesia where he lives and to teach Indonesian pastors. It took him over a decade to get his Ph.D. And he had come all the way from Indonesia to get it. He's like, what about you? And I was like, well, pastor in Georgia. I'm like, well, good. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting next to a guy. He doesn't want a Ph.D. to hang on his shelf. He doesn't do, want it so that he can go back to Indonesia and they can brag on the guy who has a degree. He, did, he reminded me that whatever we do, whatever we accomplish in this life, whatever titles we have, whatever jobs we want, we're called to be a lowly people, church. Humble people. Our King, our Savior. He was born in a manger. The Son of God didn't come into the world just so that we could be thankful. The Son of God came into the world so that we could be lowly. We went, to, we went Christmas caroling with the Norman small group last week. And um, I'm not going to say, some, of, some had better voices than others. I'll leave it at that. And we sang Joy to the World, sung it a thousand times. But I, I sang it, and, I, and as I was singing one of the, the words, one of the phrases, I went, wow, that's like Luke chapter 2. The second time around it says, let every heart, go ahead and sing it, prepare him room. And I went, whoa, that's like the opposite of Luke 2. The world has no room for Jesus, but the Christian says, I do. The world has no time and no importance and no value to Jesus, but the Christian says, I do. Something really cool to think about is the symmetry between what's happening with Mary in Luke 2 and what happens with the Christian. Here's what I mean. Just as the Holy Spirit conceives Christ in Mary, the Holy Spirit come, in some ways forms Christ in us. My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The Spirit brings Christ into the world so that He can bring Christ to us. The Spirit brings Christ into the world, conceives Christ into the world so that He can form Christ in us. This is what it means to be born again. The Christian life is about being molded into the image of Christ so that as we live and as we grow and as we are sanctified, His life becomes our life. Instead of being born by the womb, we're born by the Spirit. The reason that God created the world, if I had to break it down, would be this. The reason God created the world was to unite himself with his people. In the garden, he dwelled among them. In Christ, he dwells in them. And in the manger, God finally unites deity with humanity. We've sung it all morning. 
God says, I'm not just going to hover over them. I'm not just going to watch them. I'm not just going to shelter them. I'm not just going to be amongst them. I'm not just going to check on them. I'm going to become them. Here is a staggering quote by the 4th century theologian Athanasius. God became man so that men might become gods. Little g. Adam wanted big G. But a Christian says, I'll take little g. Oh, I can be like God? Oh, wow. God became like me? Whoa. God's going to put himself in me. God's going to indwell with me. God became one of me so that he could walk with me and be with me and save me. I was in having my Bible time this week, and I'm in the book of Luke. We're going just through the first two chapters, but I've just... Luke is probably, if I'm being honest for a second, I think I read the Gospel of Luke less than the other three. I don't know why. Um, I read John and Matthew the most. Read Mark, but I don't always read Luke. I don't know why. So I'm reading Luke. And in Luke chapter 14, the master opens his house to his friends for a banquet, and what does everyone do? They decline. I've got to do this. I'm too busy to do this. I've got someone coming over. One guy says, I'm married. (laughs) They have better things to do. And then what does the master say when he finds out that everyone has declined his party? This is what he said. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. That passage is the one that's largely credited with converting the Baptist theologian John Bunyan. And John Bunyan writes that when he read Luke 14, he thought for the very first time, God has room for me. God's not going to turn me away. Friends, that's the gospel. The world rejected Mary, rejected Joseph, it rejected Jesus. They didn't have room for the incarnate God. And what the gospel says is the world will turn on you, people will forget you, sheep will bite you, people who you thought were friends will betray you, and this world will not make room for you, but Jesus will. You're never a burden to the living God. There will never be a moment in this life where God will turn away from you because he's too busy. There will never be a moment where God just has other plans and you've got to wait for a second. The gospel of Jesus Christ is by the the blood of the lamb, the rejected lamb, God has made room for all sinners, even when the world would not. There are times in this earth when you can think to yourself, my family doesn't have room for me. My job doesn't have room for me. Uh, My kids sometimes don't have room for me. My friends barely have time for me. And then we turn to Jesus and he says, they didn't have room for me either. Here's Christianity. Being lowly like Jesus was lowly, being rejected like Jesus was rejected, 
and by faith being received into the house of God whose doors have been opened by the Christ who was born to die on a cross for our redemption. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for everybody? It means Christians don't turn our backs on people. We don't write people off. The church has no right to close its doors on anyone. Why? Because Jesus had room. We don't give people what they gave us. Why? Because Jesus opened his doors. And this means that all those people who laughed at us, all those people who've ever mistreated us, all those people who played us for fools and closed their doors, we don't give them what they gave us. We don't become them. We become like Jesus. And we wait out in the dark and we wait out in the rain until one day they say, I need room. And we say, come on in. a way to think of it. Christians say this, if there was, if Jesus made room for someone as wretched as me, there is sure room for you too. This morning, um, this week, and I'm not going to get into it, but a lot of Christians are divided for political reasons, social reasons. Um, it's really heartbreaking to see and I hope that forever how much we're divided we can all come back to the fact that we all were standing out in the rain and Jesus made room for all of us you will not find an institution on this earth that will receive everyone but God's grace is sufficient to receive the worst of sinners this morning, if you have been rejected and despised, I invite you to put your faith in the King of Kings who was born in a manger. Don't, let me, let, me make, let me make a distinction here. When we invite people to be saved by Jesus, we're not inviting you to invite Jesus into your heart. We're not even asking you to accept Jesus, although it is in some sense that. Just believe in the good news of Jesus that He came and died on a cross to pay your penalty and to give you life and to save you from your sins. That is the good news. That's what we're asking you. Don't invite Jesus into your heart. That will, that's the Spirit's job. He will do that by faith. It is your responsibility to come to Him, put your trust in Him, and be saved. Believe it or don't believe it. Eternity is at stake. Christmas isn't a time to look at baby Jesus on the wall and go, Oh, cute Jesus. Oh, where's my presents? He is the gift. Presents are cool too, though. But I wanted to invite anyone today, if you're holding a grudge, Christmas is, oh, it's a bad time to not like people. Why is all the junk come around Christmas? Well, let's come back to the fact that they may not have room, but Jesus does. Let's pray. Father, you've made room for us all. There was no room where you stayed and you, your son Jesus, had to be born next to sheep and pigs and horses and chickens.
Jesus was the lowest of the low from the beginning, and he dwelled with tax collectors and sinners. And Father, you have reached down to us and offered us salvation when we have deserved none of your grace. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you for reaching down to us when we could not reach up to you. Thank you for the glory of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.